What happens when God's patience ends? That's the question we're discussing today on the Hero of the Story presented by The Gospel Project. Thanks for joining us for today's episode of The Hero of the Story, a podcast to help you focus on the gospel in every area of your life and ministry. I'm Aaron Armstrong, brand manager for The Gospel Project, and with me as always is Brian Dembozik, our managing editor. So Brian, today we are reaching the culmination, really, in a lot of ways of um, an entire movement in the story of scripture. Um, we've We've gone from... Um, in particular, with the the formation of the of the kingdom and then kingdoms of God's people, um, we've seen how um, how God took the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and formed them out of this group of slaves um, in the land of Egypt into a, into a nation of their own. We've seen how they how God blessed and prospered them um, when they when they had faithful kings. Um, we've seen how he has chastised them and um, called them to repentance over and over and over again. And now we get to see where. Um, where his patient, loving calls to repentance, his warnings of the judgment to come are going to reach their end. And it comes not just for the northern kingdom of Israel, which happened centuries before, but now for the last holdout, the remnant of the people in the promised land, um, the nation of Judah themselves in Second Chronicles yeah. 36. So not centuries, uh, decades, probably 120, 130. So there technically, fine, technically fine. not century, century, century plus. plus. Um, just wanted to make sure we're, we're Thank clear you. on that. Thank you. I appreciate just, that. I got your back. Just just let me be dramatic today. You know, yeah, be dramatic, but wrong. Yeah. Uh, you know, we think about... It's better storytelling. <laughs> we think about the story of, of God's people, and you think of these uh, these bigger movements. It starts with the period of the patriarchs. Yeah. Uh, then you go to the period of the exodus and the conquest of the land. Then you think of the period of the judges. Mm -hmm. Then you think of the kingdom, and you yeah. can parse that into the united and divided. Mm -hmm. And it, so it's one of the major movements, and we're about to end this movement. Yeah. And then it's going to go to the period of the, of the exile, the prophets. Yes. Um, but this one also, you're talking, what, about four or 500 years total from Saul all the way through this. Yeah. So it's a, it's a good amount of history. A lot of the Bible covers this, the Old Testament. Mm -hmm. um, so this is a really important moment as we transition from this toward the exile. And as you said, this is the end of the divided kingdom. Uh, that northern kingdom of Israel did fall to Assyria in about 722 BC. And then the southern kingdom of Judah here. It's going to start a three-part process about 605, going to the final uh, destruction of Jerusalem in about 586. Mm -hmm. So three stages of captivity. And that's the window that we're looking at this week. And, and it's going to lead us into what we could consider one of the darkest periods of Israel's history. Yeah. Um, which the, is this, the 70 year, yeah, exile. the 70 year exile. I mean, Israel had a lot of dark periods, right? And I mean, it's, it's really kind of an argument about which period was really the darkest, right? Like you can kind of flip a coin and, um, and choose or, or, you know, put the, put the pee under a cup and, uh, and pick which one. Like, so the, the time of the judges was a pretty dark time. Yeah. Um, well, that was the repetition of course of, of, 
armies coming and invading and so mm-hmm. forth, and ca- but they're still in the land. Right. They still had somebody leading them. But here, we're going to see for 70 years, they are out of the land in exile, leaderless. Yeah. And this is probably, I would argue, this is when hope is at the lowest. Right. Well, I mean, we'll get there. We'll get there in probably about four months, but, or three months, but. I mean, there's another another place that could be argued that's truly the darkest time, um, which is the intertestamental period. That's true. Yeah. The, I mean, the I, would, I would argue that that would probably ultimately be the truly darkest time. This is a really interesting question. We're getting yeah. off here, but it's, yeah. it's fun to explore. What's the darkest timeline? I, you know, I would, <laughs> I would think this is darker <laughs> than even the time of sense because they were okay. just in ignorance and bliss. During that time, yeah, they weren't hearing from God, but they were kind of doing their own thing. Right um, now, there were they uh, during that time they are going to be conquered by some other nations and so forth, mm-hmm. leading up to Roman occupation. But again, at least they're still in the land. They're worshiping on some level, even though it was it was it was flawed. Mm-hmm. But anyway, okay. it's, anyway, it, it, we're, we're comparing yeah. dark or darker. Yes, either one. It's I, pretty it's bad. All bad. It's all bad. So, um, and so. So we're about to enter that that extremely dark period of time. Some might say darkest. All right. Um, oh, did we already would, had that conversation. We already we? did. We okay. just did. So, um, and if we're not careful, this podcast will be the darkest timeline for <laughs> for our listeners. Everybody's going to be exiled from the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> exile themselves. Yes, they will choose to unsubscribe. So, um, so let's keep going here. Um, and but this, but this eg- exilic period that we're about to enter, um, it, um, it won't end for seventy years. So it'll go from from those initial that initial group being taken before the before Jerusalem is fully sacked and destroyed mm-hmm. and the only people left in the land are the poorest of yeah. the poor, the people that the Babylonians said, these people literally have no value to us whatsoever. I so, was that kid on the playground when they were choosing sides. For and it, dodgeball? Yeah, and I was the last one in the team yeah. that had me. I was like, no, we don't want them. You can take them. Yeah. I feel their pain. Absolutely. Absolutely. But this is way worse than dodgeball. Yes, so, it is. Um, all right. <laughs> There's a joke I'm going to restrain myself from making <laughs> right now. So, but uh, but rather than get us get uh, get us into trouble here with inappropriate jokes, um, you know what I want to do? I want us to answer answer an important question with and and which is really um, let's explore the questions that we should be asking when we study. Um, study this time period in in the history of God's people and Second Chronicles chapter thirty six in particular. Yeah, I think the first question, especially those of us who have been studying through the Gospel Project, uh, we had a session on the fall of Israel just mm-hmm. a little while ago. Or if we're just reading through on our own, yeah, reading the chronology, we rub shoulders really recently. It seems with the fall of Israel. And I think we have to pause and ask, how was Judah's fall like and how was it unlike Israel's fall, those Mm -hmm. two kingdoms? And I think we both see that they fell because of their rebellion, their unrepentant idolatry against God. Mm -hmm. God warned them, sent prophets. Both kingdoms failed to heed the warnings. And so both were judged. So from a bigger view, they are very similar, if not identical. Yeah. However, we also see 
a couple of key differences. The first one is that Judah had at least a few moments of repentance. Yes, they which did. Which is why their judgment may have been delayed. Mm-hmm. Israel had no good kings. They just continued plowing headfirst into idolatry. Their judgment came first. The, the momentary reprieves or the momentary uh, repentance by some of the kings may have been a reason why they were not taken into captivity along with Israel in 722 by the Assyrians. So that's the that's one difference, which also sets up the second difference, which I think is fascinating. Mm-hmm. That in many ways, I hold Judah more culpable than Israel because they saw what happened yeah. to their northern neighbors. They saw firsthand. They had front row seats to watching the Assyrians come and wipe out the northern kingdom of Israel. And it's not like they didn't know why. Right. They knew exactly why. They knew exactly why. why. And they're hearing the same warnings for doing the same things. And in many ways, you have to kind of shake your head and say, why didn't you get this? Come on. You you should have known this was happening. Right. But instead, they sat back and watched. Perhaps they rejoiced. That's, you know, speculation. Yes. yes. But um, we do know that some of the neighboring uh, nations re- were rejoicing, as we'll see when we start talking about Obadiah. Um, that's a few weeks away for us, though, um, on the on the show. Um, but I, I mean, I definitely agree this this idea that that in a lot of ways they're more culpable. Um, and you know, this is jumping ahead in the timeline. But what's interest? But what is interesting is is that um, the promise of return was given to to the southern kingdom, but not. To the northern. Yeah. And we don't see them really coming back at all. Um, not explicitly. Um, yeah, we know they're unified because of the prophecy we're going to look at next week. Yes. Uh, but, yeah, they are not emphasized. Right. Yeah. Right. Um, instead, we we see uh, the Samaritan people mm-hmm. formed out of their remnants inter, um, intermarrying with people from other from the other nations and um, a, a twisting and further perversion of worship um, yeah. of of God. And we're going to see how yeah. this is going to impact the, the period of the Gospels. Yeah, the, absolutely. It know. all it all comes back comes there. Yeah. But uh, let's not get our, ahead of ourselves we're way ahead anymore. Of ourselves. Anymore, we've already we've already done a few centuries. So, what other other questions so, on this um, passage? Then, so the other one of the other key questions we should be asking here is: is how are we to understand God's discipline or punishment? Um, and so, the way we ask this question at the beginning of what happens when God's patience mm. ends is a is a very important is a very important one because um, we do need to re- we do to need to remember that this is not God, you know losing losing his beans and flying off the handle like we're prone to do yeah absolutely this yeah. is not like when i have a bad day with my kids and yeah. I, and i speak more harshly than i ought to this is god, I, this is god being very measured and very um and very clear about what was what was going to come? We we talked about um, in Habakkuk when we when we talked about that last week that when um, when the prophet was complaining to God um, and saying, "Why are you letting all this evil continue?" Um, he said, "I'm going to do something that you're not going to believe. Um, this evil is going to be met by um, by this other group of people." And so judgment's coming, and it's coming in the form of the Babylonians, and then they're going to get judged too, um, which is um, just still mind-blowing and fascinating to me. But um, 
what this is, is it, it reminds us that there is, though, a difference between these two key things, discipline and punishment. Yeah, a lot of times they're used interchangeably, and they in are. some senses yeah. they can be. And in some senses, they are both correct in this, that God, because punishment is usually, mm-hmm. it's in the word, you think of punitive. Right. And I mean, even even God, even God's word does use the exactly. two interchangeably at times. at times. But I think we have to understand the, the nuances. Yes. Because discipline to me connotes more of correction. Yes. It's more of a restorative. And, and so I think it's proper for us to say that this is God's punishment coming to bear because they were being punished. Yes. It was punished. Punitive, but also this was discipline. This was corrective because God's heart was to, for them to repent mm-hmm. and to restore them, not to punish them and do away with them. So I think using both of them wisely yeah. adds the more depth to what's going on here. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's a reminder of what the heart of God really is when we when we think about that that God's heart is always to bring his people to repentance that's yeah. why that's why he disciplines his people um i mean we see in um in hebrews chapter 12 verses 5 and 6 that uh that the the author says uh uh, my son, don't, uh, don't take the Lord's discipline lightly or lose heart when you're reproved by him for the Lord disciplines the ones he lo- the one he loves and punishes every son he receives. So there's that uh, there's that place where we're seeing both of those words yep. used as synonyms in one passage. But what's important here is we we get to see really what ultimately is that distinctive element of how God, approaches discipline and and punishment which is love yeah that god loves his people and that's where we get it wrong because a lot of times our punishment is not out of love it's it's out of anger Mm -hmm. Um, it's out of pride Mm -hmm. and so this is where we have to maintain god's holiness and his perfection in his punishment and his discipline because like for me again to be vulnerable there are times when when i'm out of pride or anger will punish one of my kids. And I wouldn't call that discipline. It's when I'm measured, when my heart is right, when I care about them and I'm doing something so that they can be corrected. That's when I'd be like, okay, I'm disciplining them. So I see this differently in my life, but we have to be careful not to hold that, those, those places we get it wrong unto God, that both punishment and discipline, as we're mm-hmm. saying, can be synonymous, a little bit different nuances, but both are saturated from his love. Yeah. Yeah. So speaking of God's love, how does this how does this this point us to the ultimate proof of his love? Let me think about Jesus. God punishing because of sin to bring about restoration. I don't have the foggiest. Mm. I can't get there myself. Mm. I no, of course this is Jesus. Right, it's it's right. talking about the greatest way that God will bring about the forgiveness of his people by mm-hmm. punishing his own, punishing Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Um and, and that through the punishment of Jesus, we are restored when we trust in him, we're restored into relationship with God. So really, I mean this this pictures, this looks ahead to our, toward when the day that that Jesus would would take the punishment for all of our wrongdoings, all of our transgression. And it reminds us that here, as we wrap up this period of the monarchy, all of Israel and Judah's kings failed. Um, Even the good ones were not good enough. Mm -hmm. They all failed, but a better king, the king of kings, was going to come, 
came in the form of a baby in a manger and is coming again on a white horse on whatever day in the future God decides is right and he will come and reign perfectly the king that we need. Mm. You know, selfishly, I really hope that the day Jesus comes back is a day when I have a lot of meetings. <laughs> <laughs> that would be very kind of him. It would be very kind. But in early in the day, not yes, after not all the at meetings the end, have finished. Not at the end. But uh, although that would still be a sweet reward. That would um, be. Yeah. <laughs> but um, all right. Uh, so let's think about this about this passage from the perspective of um, one person discipling um, an, another, whether that's an individual or a group. So a small group leader, a Sunday school class leader, a, a, a student or youth ministry um, leader, or someone working in kids ministry. Um, what kind of guidance can we offer them in working through this passage with someone else? Yeah, I think the first one is if we are covering this in context of having just talked about the fall of Israel, Mm -hmm. I think this is a good reminder that we need to be comfortable with repetition. Uh, There are some times that we rebel against repetition. We feel, all right, let's do something different. Let's do something creative. Nothing all wrong with difference in creativity unless it compromises faithfulness to scripture. And this is a time where we need to realize that, yes, there, there are a lot of similarities between this account and the fall of Israel, but redundancy is important at times. That's why God repeats himself through the scriptures so often. You think about how many times we have to hear something to understand it and truly learn it. Also think about if you're teaching this in a group, for example, not all your people are there every week. So what you might consider redundant may not be redundant for them. But here, my big takeaway, the mantra I would encourage is don't sacrifice faithfulness on the altar of novelty. Mm. We've got to really resist that urge to lift up novelty as the most important part of our teaching, even if that means we we do that at the expense of faithfulness. There are times where, where faithfulness well, faithfulness always has to trump, but that may mean there are times where we are teaching something and it will be really familiar. It will sound repetitive again, but in doing so, we are being faithful. And so don't back away from that. Don't apologize for that. Stand on that. Teach God's word the way it is given to us unashamedly, unapologetically. Yeah, absolutely. Um, another another thing that we need to do is, is we need to help one another seek to embrace God's loving discipline mm-hmm. in our lives. If Hebrews 12 is true, and it is, um, we... Um, we need to wrestle with that and we need to not just simply do what we're prone to do, which is em- which is embrace and often celebrate when others are disciplined, um, but slow down and acknowledge the need for it in our own lives yeah. um, to let really to let that do its work in and through us as God is shaping us more and more into the image of Christ and helping us to be more like Jesus every single day. Yeah, to understand discipline is hard, of course. Mm-hmm. I mean, if it weren't, it would not be discipline. Right. But to to look for its goodness and to understand God's heart behind it and and, and to to accept it and 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 even to celebrate, again, not celebrate the reason why we had to be disciplined, but man, to say, God loves me. He cares for me. He's growing me. He, he has given me a chance to repent. And through his chastisement, 
um, I am I am being given the opportunity to, to live more like Him, uh, to glorify Him, and in Christ, I'm fully forgiven. Uh, so yeah, it's a beautiful thing to remember. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Brian, that's a good place for us to wrap this up for today. So listeners, thank you for listening to today's episode of the podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please do leave a sincere five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts or whatever platform you use to listen to the show. And for more resources to help you focus your ministry on the gospel, please visit gospelproject.com.